Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about everything it takes to deliver customer perceived value to your customers through the entire arc of their experience and their interaction with you. Today, I have got uh, a repeat guest, David Patz, who uh, we had such a great discussion last time that we wanted to come back and talk about a specific topic that's near and dear to both of our hearts. I, I couldn't think of a better person. David Petz has been a chief revenue officer. You don't just sit on top of a sales or a revenue producing silo. It is a bunch of organizations that coordinate. And today, uh, David, welcome. Mark, glad to be here again. Looking forward to it. And so today, I wanted we wanted to talk about how to manage uh, an organization and to deliver a seamless customer experience across a bunch of silos um, when they are in fact silos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, it's a for me, it's a sort of fascinating um, topic in the context of um, you know. It, Ideally, you'd have a seamless experience for the customer, and, and that's what I'm sure everyone sort of sets out to strive for. But particularly as companies you know, grow a little bit, um, you, know, you begin to break down um, that relationship with customers into um, you know, areas of responsibility. You know, marketing has a, a, plays a role in the, in the connection, sales plays a role, post-sales, technical support, you know, credit, you know, credit management, there's all sorts of different touch points. So it's inevitable there's going to be handoff points, which, which is in essence what creates the opportunity for a silo. Right? Yeah, and, and I love the fact that you say it's inevitable because you know, ever since the industrial revolution, we have as managers and we've all gone through the same business school and we've taught specialization. And when you get develop a specialty, you develop uh, a department or a, you know, a, a functional specialty. And anthropology, this, the study of, of organizations tell us that when you create different organizations, even within a company, uh, it's human nature, it's as inevitable as gravity that those organizations will look askance at each other. There is we and they in organizations and it, it's human nature. It's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing, it's an undeniable, inevitable thing. And as a leader, if we say, well, geez, it shouldn't happen, or you kids stop fighting, um, that is not nearly enough. No, um, I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it isn't. And, and, and it's hard enough, um, frankly, you, you, you mentioned earlier, as a chief revenue officer, um, you know, I've had many parts of the customer interface um, you know, as part of my overall responsibility, even though they may be different teams. Um, and it's hard enough um, creating that, you know, or making sure that, that the customer is, um, you know, it's transparent or invisible to the customer that there are different functional pieces and, and, and silos and handles. But even in that role, you don't have everything. I mean, the only person that has everything is the CEO, arguably. 
um, you know, and so there are still, um, you know, it's not like even if you had everything, you can't just say, hey, all play nice together. I mean, to your point, there's still um, areas of expertise, you know, um, um, goals and objectives set for certain functions that may not be aligned with the, the next team over, you know, next function over. Um, so a lot of it's to do, in my mind, you know, part of it's about f philosophical, um, you know, guidance and direction and, and um, you know, uh, culture. But, but it's also down to metrics, measurement, and reward systems. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that. It is around metrics, measurements, and record, and systems. And so in my book, I take this very idealized, simplistic view that the purpose of any organization, profit or nonprofit, is to provide more customer value than it costs you to deliver. And every company in the world, that is their mission, that is their job, is to create more value, price to that value, and have that price be more than it costs you to put, put that value in, in the customer's hands. And once you know that that is the purpose of your organization, now let's look at our KPIs and our metrics and how many of them actually have a direct line of sight to customer value. Very few, because we, measure what happens within a silo, within a department, and we develop KPIs to see how that department is optimizing their operations. And it is the job of somebody above those two departments to make sure that they fit together properly. And at some level of complexity, it's inevitable that that is going to, that you're, you're, swimming up uh, stream you're organizing your way into more trouble than you can manage yeah no i, I think that's um that's true um one one area that i mean i'll um you know organizational design is important here too so i'll, I'll give an example when i was at shortel um we transitioned the company from being a an on-prem proposition so we sold you know um capital purchase equipment and, and perpetual licenses. And we transitioned the company over a number of years from an on-prem to um, SaaS or what we called UCAS, Unified Communications as a Service. And so it became very apparent to us, um, and I think we talked about this last time, that, that in a SaaS world in particular, um, you know, the cost, it, it's not super simple to change but it's certainly easier to make a change in a SaaS world than it is you know in a in an on-prem world and so you've got to continuously um sell to that customer and the communication between the different groups to make sure that everybody is aware of what what's happening with the customer uh, the client you know what the status is um good bad and indifferent is is really important and so we actually reorganized the team um to have uh I'd say nine tenths of the customer journey under the CRO uh, role. Um, and so part of it was addressing it through organizational design. Um, but then to your point, um, it was also a lot about, you know, metrics of the different pieces of that journey. Um, and uh, um, importantly, we implemented one piece of common compensation across all of those teams so that they, that was a, that was the same measure and the same metric so that everyone was working toward the same goal, which, again, created a common bond at least. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. Uh, when I was at GE Capital, of course, uh, I was in, a in the origination group 
who went out and found loans and tried to get them approved. And there's an underwriting group whose job is to find the problems and to either say no or to find a way to structure around the problems, right? They, they found risks and managed them. They're called risk managers uh, or underwriters. And our underwriters had a component of pay for how many deals they could close. And so it very quickly came to the, the, the way that the successful salespeople would operate is to understand a customer situation, understand the customer's business, get all the problems known so that at your first conversation with an underwriter saying, hey, I've got this client and here's the loan that they're looking for for this purpose. And here's the, here's the hair on the deal. Okay. Here's the problem. And so, th and this is what I think I, this is how I think I want to do the loan. And almost invariably that the underwriters would say, you know what, Mark, we can't do it. We can't do it that way. But because of this hair, if you can sell this change and this change, we can probably do that. As long as that's the only surprise, you know, is that, that's the yeah. only problem with this deal. This is what we can do instead. And that is, that takes, that aligns everybody's interests uh, when they have an interest in making sure that the deals get done. Everybody is paid for business coming in the door. Yeah. Not uh, in, in some, in some, areas of banking underwriters job is to say no they're the sales prevention department and um, classic, classic role of finance right and um it doesn't have to be that way no it doesn't have to be that way um you know and i and i think like we said it comes back to you know culture you know setting that um you know narrative to the all of the organization you know pervasively and continuously measurement and metrics, um, you know, and, and I think reward systems that, that can create a common goal. And I'll, I'll give you an example of, you know, a breakdown that we had um, discovered. And you talked about customer value. Um, I think it's, that's the ultimate goal. How do you, how do you measure all of this in, in the, you know, in terms of the value the customers, um, you know, uh, uh, getting from the solution or, or from any different piece of the puzzle? In this particular case, it was more about customer satisfaction rather than value, but you know, one can lead to the other or can certainly interrupt the other. Yeah. Uh, in all of the sales process, we captured an awful lot of um, information that wasn't systemically handed over to the implementation team. And the implementation team, um, their first engagement with the customer was um, you know, doing diligence in order to do the implementation that repeated a lot of what was already discovered in the sales process. And so the customer was like, what the heck? We've, we've been through all this already. Why are you asking me these questions? So it, it created a bad impression, more or less out the gate. Obviously, this is a committed customer, but that before they've ever got the solution up and running, they're already getting some frustration. So that's a prime example of where we then, you know, motivated the sales team to capture some additional stuff that was very easy to capture in the sales process, but not necessary for the sale, but helped the, the um, implementation team and we created a system feed so that we could um, pass that information over so that the uh, implementation team already had all the information they needed or, or at least nine tenths of it and there wasn't repetition of questions. Yeah. So that's a, an example of, of systems helping. Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a huge believer in the old Miller-Hyman blue sheets and in the middle of the blue sheet, 
uh, there's a section called the wins and the results. That's the business results that each person involved in the buying decision expects to achieve. So finance wants one financial related results and operations wants easy to train, easy to learn and, and so on and so forth. So you understand those business results and the personal results that they get from that. So the operations person said, I can finally not work so much overtime. I can go be spend more time with my family somebody else is you know this is going to make me look so smart that i get a promotion or whatever that personal result is and i would have my clients make sure that that was part of the handoff between the sales and the operations so that they knew everybody's business result that they wanted to get and the personal results now in the europe in europe there's actually some challenges some privacy challenges in in collecting and hiding that stuff. But uh, here in the States, that helped the implementation team see this customer in three dimensions. The handoff documentation became three-dimensional. You started to learn the people that you were trying to work with and what their personal needs were. And uh, that makes it a lot more smooth. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I think the, um, you know, the extent, as you say, to which you can capture that data and, um, and it's permissible to, to use and pass on, that's got to be a benefit, right? It's yeah. Be and, and uh, I, you know, just to, to take off the, the sale, uh, you were probably not a, a Miller-Hyman client when you were capturing all that information. So you don't need Miller-Hyman to do that. It just happens to be that I know how to do it using the Miller-Hyman tool. Uh, but there's just every tool, every sales methodology has some of that. All right. So here's, here's the question, right? I came early in my career. I was in this really um, dis very interesting corporate culture, W.L. Gore and Associates, who's famous for not having managers. And they end up being kind of hierarchical, but it's very much a matrix organization where the the hierarchy and the silos are much more limited and they aren't as rigid as in other organizations and so using that experience in my background i i have this idealized vision of a company that where everybody who touches the customer is a sensory organ in the selling organization and the organization learns from the customer in but that's not what happens in a, a more hierarchical command and control organization. We expect those some of those people we put in the job of gathering information. Some of them we tell, don't gather information, stay in your lane and just do your job. And we expect somebody in middle or higher management to be the one that assimilates the vision of the customer and chooses the direction and uh, divines the customer. And um, maybe that's not a good thing or a bad thing, but that is the reality so many companies face. And you've been in companies like that. And as part of the CRO, as the CRO, you've had to, you've had to bridge those silos. And so I would love to know if you've got any secrets to success in making your organization more customer focused, despite the fact that they've got this impediment, this siloed organization system, because there's a lot of people listening who, who have that burden. Yeah, I think there are two layers to what you just went through there. One is the um, increasing the customer um, engagement, you know, regardless of, of 
you know, which part of the company you're from, not, not just the classic people that are intended to engage with customers and, and you know, intentionally engage with them and, and you know, solicit information and share it and so forth. I think the other is the um, you know, silos between the, the functions of departments and how do they play better together um, so that the customer gets a better experience. And, and those things are not mutually exclusive, but they're, they're somewhat um, separated from each other. Yep. Um, so on the silo piece, um, you, know, what, you know, as I said before, certainly you know, culturally reinforcing, continually, you know, continuously explaining that we, you know, we're, the customer is first in everything we do, regardless of function department and so on and so forth. Um, you know, certainly systems, as we described with that sort of handoff to the implementation team as the example. But the common metric, I think, is a, is a key one. And we had, uh, you know, again, this is in a SaaS world, um, you know, there's a, a all sorts of um, ups and downs in the SaaS world. You know, churn plus you know ads. Um, you know, there's a if you want to call it a sort of customer billing um, you know number. So we had a billings number um, that that spanned across the entire organization. So everybody held a portion of their variable pay, and not everybody had variable pay. Obviously, it was a it was um, a much smaller piece in the case of say finance or legal. Than it was in, say, sales, but nevertheless, there was an element of variable pay. It could be a bonus program, whatever. But everyone had a portion of that variable pay that was tied to uh, net customer billings, and that basically said that it, you know, um, if a, I don't, yeah, so a, a finance department that's working on um, you know a customer and resolving some disputes around um, age debt, for example is going to impact billings if they put the account on hold for a period of time um, without result, you know, and the long, the more they do that or, or the more they put the customer at risk, um, if there's a misunderstanding, then it hits them in that billings thing. Um, so I'm not saying they wouldn't put them on hold. Of course they would if the circumstances ma mandated it, but they're going to go the extra mile to solving the issue, understanding what the problem is and, and trying to do the right thing for the business first. Um, you know, the same would be true in, in you know, post sales if there's a um, you know, customer success team that's working with a customer who um, you know, gets acquired or, or does an acquisition and the, the company they acquire is using a different solution and they don't bring the sales team back in to help them secure um, our solution pushed over to the company they've acquired rather than the other way around, then they're putting at risk some billing. So all of those kind of things begin to help um, motivate people to to collaborate together for the best interest of the customer. Yeah, uh, another thing that we did with Miller Hyman, um, their large account management program. Uh, so it's it's a it's an over and above effort that takes extra corporate calories, if you will, uh, for your biggest most important customers that you want to make sure are the most sensible, but. Um, there was an account manager or a quarterback, usually in a sales role or a key account role or whatever, who was a quarterback to a multiple function team. Uh, so everybody who conceivably touched the customer in any appreciable degree, uh, every department had somebody assigned to that team. And we have quarterly strategy meetings. What is the relationship now? Where would we mutually like the relationship to go? What do we have to do to get there? Who all has to be involved on each side to get that to happen? What do those programs look like? And do you realize how much IBM that we're investing in this relationship? 
And which parts of this investment are you getting value from and which ones should we redirect a West investment away from so that we can do the things that are more important to both of us. Uh, you had a very collaborative joint intertwining of the organizations. As a matter of fact, some key account uh, thought leaders call the highest level of customer relationship where bottom level is transactional, mid levels are things like uh, value added supplier or key consultative supplier and the high level, uh, some of them call it intertwined where there's engagement at all levels in all functions where it starts to become harder. And so that's a, that takes a lot of energy and it's something that you can, that you always should do for your biggest, most important accounts. But it's a thought process of zippering customers together at all levels uh, creates a mindset that reduces silos, uh, that unifies everybody cross-functionally for a specific project, this client or you know, this major customer. But inevitably, when you start involving everybody, I think you start developing that value-focused, customer-focused mindset uh, on all of your customers, ideally. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think what you described is um, achievable in a company of some considerable scale, obviously. Um, and you know, to your point, to a, a certain number of, of customers in, in the upper echelons of your you know customer pyramid, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, I think that the it, and it and it does set um, the tone. To your point, it sets the um, your general sort of viewpoint that, that we want to be all encompassing in our relationship with our customers to provide them you know, value at every opportunity. And if we're not, if we're not providing value, then, then let's not do it. Um, yeah. So it sets that tone. I think the key is how do you take that down wherever that limit is to, I can no longer, uh, you know, I just don't have the bandwidth of, of everyone's time to do customer number 101, 102, whatever it may be. How do you then, um, take the same elements of that, uh, you know, and scale it down. And, yeah. I, and I think that's where, you know, um, I'll use, you know, examples like Gainsight as a, as a application or a, um, a solution enables information sharing that, that, um, you know, can scale a little bit more, um, than, you know, everybody having to be together in the team and going to the customer. So there are ways that I think you can extend that beyond just the, the biggest ones, but I think doing it with the, the largest customers enables a very important thing, which is sort of that umbrella of, um, you know, this is what we, this is how we view our relationship with customers. It's, it's um, we should all be you know, supporting our relationship and, and you know, the, the greatest value delivery to the customer. Yeah. Um, the, <sighs> The way that sales training was delivered at Miller Hyman was uh, Miller Hyman would charge a client for every person who was on that team. And so there was, you know, $2,000 per person admission. If you were going to be on one of these major account teams, you were going to automatically pay Miller Hyman, you know, one to $2,000, uh, you know, $1,000 for the training and at least $1,000 for the coaching and the consulting wrapper um to help you organize around this and so it wasn't just the the organizational bandwidth there was an actual out-of-pocket cost and that prevents the people who aren't you know in the club 
servicing those kind of customers from having the benefit of that mindset. And so the fact that um, Miller Hyman charged by the seat for the training kind of inhibited the, the progression of that mindset throughout the entire organization. And that was always, that was always the challenge. How are we going to get everybody to start thinking like this, even though they didn't have the benefit of sitting through the orientation, the uh, indoctrination, if you will. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also, uh, there are some other obstacles. Um, you know, Miller Hyman obviously is, is predominantly oriented at um, enabling and, and skilling upskilling, you know, salespeople. Yep. And so to your point, to apply that training to say somebody in finance, because they're going to be part of that larger team from time to time engaging with the customer, um, you know, there's a, there's, an, a, there's a cost piece that you just described. There's also an applicability piece. Yeah, the yep. person in finance is going to say, well, hold on a minute. This is, you know, I'm going to meet with IBM in your example, you know, once, you know, four times a year, maybe in quarterly reviews and, and periodically in between. But but the rest of my nine, you know, ninety percent of my life is about financial stuff, and that's where I need to, um, you know, that's where my training needs to be. So I, I think there's a another natural obstacle, and also the um, goals and objective of finance are, are different than the goals and objective of, of sales. You know, yeah, they're, they're achieving and doing different things. Yeah, the key is to, um, you know, I think one other area for, for me that improves the ability to break down gaps between departments in, in favor of a good customer relationship um, is also sort of thinking about internal relationships as a sales engagement. So I'll give you an example. You, we talked earlier jokingly about finance being the, the sales prevention office, or, or in your case, I think it was the underwriters and, yeah. and so forth. Um, but if you put yourself in their shoes, like when you're selling to a customer, say, okay, well, what it, how do I make them successful? What are the problems they're trying to deal with? You know, why are they, you know, why does it take them so long to make a decision on whether or not we can you know, discount this, this deal for this customer or, um, and start to solve their problems so that they can be successful in their role, um, then you're, you're going to be able to uh, get changes to process, get better support from the group, get them you know, into more of a customer-facing um, you know, world. Yeah, I, and that's something I'm really, I'm really passionate about is sitting between sales everybody actually not just sales but everybody who touches the customer um everybody who supports those people like marketing and product management and finance and the ceo because everybody has to understand the customer's business and the customer's outcome because if sales knows about it but marketing doesn't then marketing materials and product aren't right and so you you need to have that interaction but if uh, those two know about it, but you're, they're not pricing well. Now the, the CFO office can't be a valued partner towards objectively measuring how much are we impacting the customer's business so that we know how much to price properly. Uh, because ultimately your price should relate to how you're impacting your customer's business, their value, not um, some arbitrary gut feel of a salesperson who didn't take the time to understand the customer's business. Uh, so that I, I think sitting in between all those is that's where I kind of uh, find my um, passion is making sure that everybody's um, coordinated. Yeah, I think that's, um, 
I'm not sure, maybe you, one could argue that a sort of COO may naturally, you know, either personally or have folk in a team that should sit in that kind of role. But, but I think what you just described is more, more likely effective if it's sort of an external, um, you know, kind of um, periodic or, or continuous kind of uh, let's come in and, and check where the breakdowns are, what, what's working well, what's not, ha you know, are there silos and barriers and, yeah. and cultural differences between groups and what's driving those. And, you know, it's almost like a, uh, an intervention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's one thing for the CEO to be looking down from on high and seeing those problems, but you also need to have somebody at the operational level eliminating those problems and managing those interfaces. And, Absolutely. and the COO is, just not the person for that no no i agree it's the devil's in the detail it, it's um you know it, it's process and and kpis and metrics and you know it, it's detailed stuff that that creates the issues more often than philosophical you know differences yep hey we're um about half an hour already um so is there something else that we didn't get to that you want to make sure that we talk about no i don't think so i mean i, I you know it, it's a uh, you know, look at what we've chatted about. I'd say we probably talked about more of the challenges than solving the problems. Uh, you know, and, and I, you know, I think each of us has sort of said there are some um, solutions we've seen work. You use the example of, of a large account structure with IBM and and you know a quarterback kind of coordinator and every every department having a representative. You know, I've talked about um, you know common metrics. We've talked about system flows. Yeah, so I think there's lots of things in there. That the key is um, knowing which of those are going to give you the biggest return or, or the quickest, you know, improvement, uh, and being able to identify that and implement it. Um, and it's a continuous thing because it, it, it's, you know, at least in my experience, um, you can improve the um, handoff between groups um, with a lot of hard effort and changes but they can start to drift apart again if you don't pay continuous attention to them. So it's also, this isn't a one and done kind of, hey, let's go look at it, yeah. um, make some changes and then move on. You've got to, you've got to continuously live and breathe it. Yeah, but, um, I, I, I heard the, the phrase once, this isn't a problem you solve, it's a condition you manage. There you go. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you. I'd agree with you. But it's, it's um, you know, getting it right, um, even, even in parts, even if you get you know, um, seven tenths of this, right? You know, it, it makes a tremendous difference to the engagement you have with customers, the success you have with them, the growth and the longevity of relationships. So it's, it's a very important thing to, to do, obviously. Absolutely. So David, how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk with you more and, and uh, access some of your wisdom and expertise? Yeah, no, I'd love to chat with people. I probably the easiest way, frankly, is LinkedIn. Um, I, there may be more than one David Pets. I don't know, but David Pets. Um, I'm based in New York, so shouldn't be too difficult to find me. But uh, yeah, LinkedIn probably the best way. Very good. Well, David, what a great conversation. Thanks for uh, coming back and and sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. Oh well, I enjoyed it, Mark. And as always, um, you know, I learn as much from you as I uh, probably more than. <laughs> I knew anyway, but it's a good, good topic and good debate. So I enjoyed it. Absolutely. And thanks for joining us, everybody, on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we think that customer value exists only in your customer's mind, which means that your success with your customer actually sits in your customer's head. Thanks and have a high value day. 
Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>